Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. Uh, so so we, we're starting a series called Ghost Stories, and we're talking about the Holy Spirit. So this is kind of like a not-so-spooky look at the ghost uh, that we find in the Bible, right? And so today, the hope is to lay the proper foundation as we move forward with our understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, what does the Holy Spirit do, how does he empower us, how do we connect with him, there's so many different things, but we have to lay the foundation, otherwise, we're going to end up with, with, with gaps in our understanding, we're going to end up with, with holes in, in what we're trying to accomplish, and so we need to start there. So last week, we told you guys, if you have questions. We want you to write those down or submit those. And you heard uh, Pastor Chris talk about that this morning. And so we have a question that came in and it couldn't be more perfect for the day. And so the question is this, and it says this, how do we know that the Trinity is real and that the Holy Spirit is God if the Bible never specifically mentions the Trinity? That is a great question. That is somebody who's spent some time thinking and trying to figure these things out. So today, we're going to actually answer that question. In fact, I've got 14 pages of notes to answer that question. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully, at the end of the day, we don't just learn something, but hopefully at the end of the day, there is a deeper understanding of how the Holy Spirit wants to work within us and what he wants to do in us, right? So uh, so as we get started, we have to, to do this first and foremost is we have to lay aside our ideas and our understandings of who the Holy Spirit is based on our upbringing and our thoughts in this this sense, right? We can easily place our thoughts immediately onto who the Holy Spirit is without having any biblical basis or understanding to back this. So let's pretend that we are all starting at zero. Is that fair? We are all starting from simply going, okay, we're going to start only with the word of God. I think that's a good place to begin. Uh, if, if you know anything about me, I think the Bible is always a great place to begin. So that's where we're going to start. Now, we have this, this concept of, of the Trinity and understanding who is the Trinity. Now, it's easy for us to connect with God the Father because we all have some understanding of a Father figure, right? And so, so grasping and, and understanding the Father is not a, a, so far out there for us to go, okay, how does this make sense? This doesn't, I don't get how God is. We can understand the theme of the Father, right? That's pretty simple for us. And then we have the Son, and we can easily associate Jesus as God because of the work on the cross and the resurrection. And so we can simply make that connection to seeing the Father and the Son and going, okay, so Jesus is God. He is man. We can see how the two are correlated and connected to one another. So we understand these two parts of what we call the Trinity, but where does the Holy Spirit come into play? Because when you then bring in the concept of this Holy Spirit, the idea becomes far more abstract than it does with just the idea of a father and a son. Because we have some sort of understanding of the role of a father in the place of a son. And so we kind of see those, but then when you add in this third element of spirit, we go, this just got weird. And I've said this before, and I'll say this again throughout the entire series to bring clarity. The Holy Spirit is not weird. People are weird. 
Okay, And so when we have people that take ideas of the Holy Spirit apart from Scripture and, 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 and misuse of Scripture, we end up with some really crazy things we call the 90s. Um, if you were in a Pentecostal church in the 90s, you saw some things that you maybe thought, hmm, is that in the Bible? Hmm. I'll let you answer that question later uh, on your own. So let's talk today about the Holy Spirit, because where does and how does the Holy Spirit fit into this concept and this idea of a triune God, of a Godhead that is one God in three persons? Now, that is in and of itself kind of this abstract idea, and and that does seem kind of far-fetched and out there a little bit. So let's bring some clarity and some understanding to this as to who is the Holy Spirit, uh, how long has he been around? What has he been doing during this time? Those kind of things. So let's start to lay this foundation. One of the things that I think we often do is we just immediately associate the presence of the Holy Spirit to the New Testament at Pentecost. And, and that is, is not an accurate understanding of the Spirit of God. In fact, the Holy Spirit, being that he is God, which we will walk through, has been around forever. He has been as long as God has been, which is infinite. And so to simply just go, okay, well, we know more about him post-Pentecost, and we know more about him in the New Testament, we tend to funnel our thinking to the Holy Spirit is a phenomenon of the New Testament writings within the apostles and networks, and that's not accurate within Scripture and what we find. And so for us today to gain the best understanding and foundational truths that we need as far as understanding the Holy Spirit, we have to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. And in fact, we have to go to Genesis chapter one, and we're going to go verses one and two. So when I say the beginning, I mean in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And you ready? Here we go. Our first mention in the Bible of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Let's pray. First of all, Lord, we thank you for all of your grace, and we thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your word. And so, Lord, we say thank you for for who you are. And then, Lord, we ask that you'll anoint my lips and my words to speak your truths today. We thank you for it, and we give you glory, and we give you honor for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. So this passage, this two verses, is full of some deep, rich truths, doctrine, and theology all in two verses that help us to define and understand two parts of the Trinity. And so, so what we find here and what we see here is that God and the Spirit are the first two characters introduced into Scripture in the first place. We see that God in the very beginning, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. And so what what is our understanding? Our understanding is gonna be different than the author's understanding of the heavens and the earth. When we think of the heavens, we think of just the masses of universe, right? That are just just ever expanding and far reaching and well beyond our understanding of space and time, right? We think in that term, we think of the heavens as an actual physical place of heaven. We think in those terms. And then we say the heavens and the earth, and we think of earth and we think of it in its current form and where we have and how things are shaped and look in this moment, that would not have fully been the case of the author. So the author's understanding of the heavens would have simply been the skies, 
Everything I can look up and see. That is the heavens in which they're referring to. And then the earth. Now the earth that we read in verse two, it says in this moment is, is, is formless and empty. And darkness is, is covering this. You know, so, so it's just a different world than what we understand and what we recognize as the earth. And what we find is that there is just a lot of water kind of all over the place. There's a lot of it. And the waters are just going crazy because God has not fully created and formed the earth in this moment yet. And so we're at the very beginning that he has then just said, okay, we have the heavens and we have earth and the, all the other things that go with the heavens that we now understand through our understanding of the infinite you know, space that we have, right? And then we have the earth. And then it says this, that the spirit hovers over the waters. The spirit hovers over the waters. So let's learn some Hebrew today. So let me encourage you this morning to take notes. Uh, there's going to be a lot of, of kind of language discussion and understanding what were the, in, what was the original meanings of the words that we're using. And we're going to look in Hebrew. We're also going to look in Greek. And we're going to even study some English today. It's going to be really great. Um, and by English, I mean Latin. So it's all the same, right? Uh, so so we're, I encourage you this morning to take notes to, to, to better develop an understanding of what we're talking about. So the very first phrase we're going to talk about this morning is, is the word that is used used for formless and empty, formless and empty. And it is this, it, it is a kind of a rhyming phrase that is found in Hebrew and it is tohu vavohu, tohu vavohu. Yes. And it's written there for you in the English writing because it doesn't sound like what I just said. But that word means wilderness. It means wasteland. It means emptiness. So think of the most uh, uninhabitable desert that you can imagine, where that if you spent a day out there, you would be found dead later by, by the birds that are coming to eat your carcass, right? This is what we're talking about. And this is what the author is saying of the, the unformed earth at this point in time. He, says, he said, there's the heavens and the earth, and, and that phrase of that, that, that emptiness and that, that wilderness, right? And it says this, tohu babohu, and it is nothingness. And it is a place that you couldn't survive and that you couldn't live. And then when you move away and you go to the depths of the ocean, it's another place where you can't survive and you can't live. And then it tells us this, though, that the spirit hovers over the waters. So even before this was a place where we could live, where we could walk, before man was created, long before any living thing was on this planet and, and through the creation that God ordained and set forth, long before any of that, the spirit hovered. The spirit hovered. So then we have to understand beyond, beyond the imagery that we're finding is, is we have to understand what does spirit mean? So let's first start by looking at our English word, which spirit comes from the Latin word spiritus, which is really kind of easy to understand how we came up with that word when you look at it. But here's what that word literally means. The actual meaning is this breathing. It has to do with breath. It has to do with taking in and exhaling, right? And that is the word spirit. Because in our mind, when we think of spirit, our mind goes to the ideas of Halloween and these like oddly shaped figurines that are floating and hovering over your bed that turns out to actually be a towel and you have a freak out moment in your first year of marriage. It may have happened. Um, it did happen. Um, 
And, and I go to bed one night and, and, and I did, and we had been married all of a month at this point. And I look up and I see this dark shape floating over my bed. And I, my heart starts racing and I'm going like, have you, any of you have ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Yeah, so I, I'm about to have like this Smith Wigglesworth moment where I'm gonna like grab this like demonic spirit by the throat and like choke slam it and be like, in the name of Jesus, right? Whatever. So go read some stories about Smith Wigglesworth and that'll mess you up um, uh, in the best way possible. Uh, so I have this whole like freak out moment and then Lauren starts laughing at me hysterically and she's like, Ryan, that's your towel hanging over the door. Um, so that's, you know, that's how we perceive spirits, right? As these like dark figures and shapes that are like floating. We think of ghosts and all this kind of stuff in the realm of like the paranormal and all this kind of stuff. And really what we find is that our word derives from breath. It derives from the word breath. And so, so we then look at the Hebrew word for spirit and it is, you ready for this one? This is a great one because you get to clear your throat as you say it. It's wonderful. And it is ruach. And I got a little on the microphone. I'm just kidding, I didn't. But it is ruach. And what ruach actually means, and we're gonna say ruach the rest of the day and not actual pronunciation, but it means wind, breath, and spirit. And this is significant because it'll, it'll change the way you view things in the Old Testament scriptures because anywhere you find the word breath or you find the word wind or you find the word spirit in the Old Testament, it is all one word. It's all the same word. And so as you go through the scripture, it all of a sudden shifts your understanding of, of what is happening when you, when, you, when you read different things. And we're gonna go through some of those things today. Because, so what we're seeing in this verse is that there is this wasteland of a planet, so to speak, that is the unformed earth that, that God just said, okay, we're gonna start with this and then let's be creative with it, right? And so we have this unformed earth that is there and the spirit is hovering over. So we have this spirit, this what would be like God's breath in a sense, right? It is, it is of him, it comes from him, it is released by his word. And so we, we have this, this, this unformed land that is just wasted, and then we see this, this separate distinction of the spirit is just hovering over the waters. And then we have, we have this moment where we begin to then see creation develop. And we begin to see all of these things take place. And here's what happens is when, when the Lord speaks, when God speaks, it releases then his ruach. And here's what I mean by that. And here's what happens. Uh, in the Hebrew world, they had two separate words that don't come from the same. So we say breathing and breath, right? They derive from the same word. In the Hebrew, there are two separate things. The act of breathing is apart from what you breathe in and out. So they're two different things. And that's why this word is ruach. And so you, 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 would, you would breathe in the breath is what we would say. But here they were saying that we have the act of breathing, which is one word. And then we have breath, which is the noun, the ruach, which is what we're actually taking in and taking out. And so as you speak and you feel that, everybody do this for, for just a second. Say the word, hello, hello. You feel that on your hand? That's your ruach, right? And so what we're seeing is that when God speaks, then the Ruach is released to do the creation, to bring in life and to begin to create things on an unformed planet. So we have then this Ruach, the spirit of God is this life giving breath to all things, which changes the way you see 
all of creation. Because now it's not just a spoken word, but what was Lord releasing the spirit by his spoken word to create and, to, and to, to develop. As the Lord spoke and commanded, the spirit then acted and worked and moved and creation is formed and God works and, and develops and, and brings about a creation by the work of the spirit as the spirit hovers over the earth. In Genesis 2 with the creation of man, we see the word again. And then it says this in verse seven, it says, then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed, different word, into his nostrils, the breath, ruach, of life. And the man became a living being. This changes our understanding of life and our understanding of what it means to be alive because now we see it in a different light because it isn't just that God put air in his lungs to allow him to breathe. No, God breathed ruach into his lungs, which means the spirit of life. He put his spirit in him to breathe and to bring to life. So again, the, the, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is this life-giving creator. Is this life-giving creator. And so when man was formed there in the dust and in the ground and God breathes, he breathes out the Ruach and it is the spirit then that fills the living thing with life, that gives life to, to all things. And we see this even played out further in Ecclesiastes. Uh, it, it tells us that when we die, our Ruach, our breath returns to God. Meaning that the breath that we have, the, the life that we breathe in and breathe out is not our own in the first place. That the life that we breathe in is actually from the spirit of God. That it is given to us by God himself. That he has empowered us with life. He has given us life that when we die, when it is our time, the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. When it is our time to, come, to go, that our ruach, our breath returns to God. So we are all living essentially on borrowed air, that, that on borrowed life that comes from and is poured out by God, that is given by God, as ordained by God. And so we then breathe in the spirit of God. So there's a simple, there's a phrase that's called common grace. And common grace are those things that every living human being get to enjoy. Life would be one of those things. That isn't to say that, that all receive grace by being alive. That's to say that there are certain things that God has allowed us to enjoy apart from the grace of salvation, right? Life being one of those things that because of the goodness of God, he allows us to continue to live rather than just destroying the planet as a whole and wiping us out and starting over, right? I would call that a, a common grace. Like, well, thank you, Lord, that we are alive, right? And so he gives that to all living things. And it's not just human beings that, that is, as you even read through scripture, you find that, that it's the same breath that is given to all living creatures, that they are then breathing in the same ruach that we find here that is given to man to live. God's spirit, the Holy Spirit is a life-giving creator. It's a life-giving creator. One of the other things that we see is that the word means wind. It means wind. And so when you see the trees moving, 
uh, in the Hebrew understanding, the Hebrew word, that would be ruach, right? That would be the same word that of given to the spirit of God, the same word given to the breath that we breathe, you know, the air that we breathe in, and then also the same movement that animates the trees and the grass, and that is all the moving and the blowing, essentially, of the Spirit of God, that it is that energy, so to speak. It is that force, that, that creative power that is the Spirit that is bringing all living things to life. In fact, if you read the story of the Israelites with Moses, and they're crossing the Red Sea, and what does the Bible say? It says that God sent a wind, and that same word is there again, ruach, it's to say and to show the divine power of the Spirit of God that, that, that he sends this wind, this ruach, this mighty rushing spirit of the Lord to come through to hold back the water so that, that we look at it and we go, it boils down to the divine nature of God and his ability to control all things because he is the giver of life. He is what is moving and flowing through our planet and through our earth and hovering still over the planet that we see him then moving through and that's what's holding back the water so the Israelites didn't walk across on dry land. So ruach, it's an incredibly powerful word when you begin to study the depths of the Holy Spirit and who he is. And as we begin to see him working and moving on the planet in, in, those, in those ways. But then it, we find this as we continue to read through scripture that it's not just through creation and through life giving, but that the Holy Spirit, even in the Old Testament, empowers individuals. And that's something important to understand because it's, it's sprinkled in a little bit in the Old Testament as God begins to work and move towards what he does then with the Messiah. But we see him from time to time working in the Old Testament, empowering individuals to do some incredible things. The first person we see is Joseph. And God empowers Joseph to interpret dreams. And that is the, the spirit of God then coming on Joseph to interpret dreams, to give him the ability to, to hear the dream. And then God gives the interpretation. In fact, I love it when, when uh, Pharaoh says, so I hear you can interpret my dreams. He's like, whoa, 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 dreams are the Lord's and he can give the interpretation. I'm here to stand in for him as the mouthpiece. And that's not how he words it, but this is what he's saying. He's like, I'm just gonna hear what the Lord says to me and then I'm gonna tell it back to you, right? And so we see that empowering in that moment that he comes on an individual and empowers him then to speak and to interpret the dreams that that Pharaoh has. And then we also see later on, so after Israel has now left Egypt, they're moving forward and they're building the tabernacle. And there is a man by the name of Bezalel, and, and he is empowered by God to build and create beautiful things. He is anointed for, for artistry and, and to, to create these incredibly ornate things. And so, in fact, God says, uh, I have ordained him to build the Ark of the Covenant. That's a pretty big responsibility. And so he says, I'm going to empower him by the Holy Spirit so this thing doesn't get messed up, right? It's one of those kind of deals. He doesn't say it that way, but it's kind of, if I'm God, I'm going, this is a big deal. We're going to get it right. So boom, anointing. And he's like, oh, look what I'm doing. Like, I don't know. That's what, that would be me. But it says this in Genesis 35, and it says, Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, not Hur like as in this girl, uh, H-U-R, as in the grandfather, of the tribe of Judah. And he, is, he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. So we see here a different action and a different working, but nonetheless, at the end of it, to create. 
You see the working of the Spirit. He has filled him with the Spirit, right? And this is kind of one of those first moments where we go, okay, this person has been filled with the Spirit beyond uh, what we see you know, in any other part of the Old Testament. And this is a separate action. This is prior to Pentecost. So things, you know, God's functionality and what he does through the Spirit obviously shift and change, but, but who he is hasn't changed, right? So then it goes on uh, beyond that. So obviously uh, the word spirit there, again, is ruach, the life-giving creator. But we also see the Old Testament that we have the prophets. So the prophets then were, were anointed and, and, and filled with the spirit for another task and another purpose. And, and part of their message begins to shift and change a little bit apart from what we found prior to in other parts of the Old Testament. That is the prophets begin to work and they're now speaking of the coming Messiah. And so through the prophets that we begin to see this, this, this fully played out of what is in fact God's plan of redemption. What is God's plan and what is he working? And so they begin to speak with a new idea of the power that comes from God's ruach. And so he, they begin to say, listen, there is a difference now in, in what God wants to do and how he wants to move through his spirit and by his spirit. So there is an empowering that is going to come from the spirit of God. So it begins to change the narrative and the understanding of what is the function and the role of the Holy Spirit. So quick recap. One, the Spirit is a life-giving creator. And then two, the Spirit empowers people for a specific task or purpose. So he's a life-giving creator, and then he empowers people for a specific task or purpose, right? And that's how he has functioned through the Old Testament. And so, so when we immediately jump to thinking of the Holy Spirit as a New Testament phenomenon or a New Testament figure that only appears once we hit, you know, the end of John and, and Jesus, and, you know, and begin to Acts, right? No, the Holy Spirit has been acting and moving since before any of us could ever have even thought about the planet being in existence and before Adam and before Eve, the Holy Spirit. Spirit has been functioning and working on the planet. And I love where it says that he has been hovering over the darkness. Hovering over the darkness. So this leads us to the New Testament. This leads us to the story of the birth of Jesus. And as you read through the Gospels and you read the story of Jesus, it, it, is, it is the Spirit who is credited with the work of, of the conception and of Mary becoming pregnant, right? And the angel even comes and says, you are going to have a child, and, and the Spirit is going to give you a child, right? And so, so we see this, and now here's where we have a shift and a change is in the language, because now we've gone from Hebrew to Greek. So the word in the Greek, which is... is almost identical in meaning into the, the Ruach in the Hebrew. The word in the Greek is pneuma. Pneuma. It's where we get uh, like our, our pneumatic uh, ideas and the things like pneumatic power and all those kind of things. The word pneuma, which means wind blowing and breath. We also translate it into spirit in the English language. So I think it's funny, or not funny, I think it's interesting, the parallel between all three of our words. Our word spirit, which derives from spiritus, the, the Latin, has to do with breathing. And then that, that the, the ruach has to do with the breath. And that pneuma has to do with breath and wind. Because it's, it, it's, it's about that there is this invisible force. And all of these words in common have something in common, this idea of an energy, right? Not that, not that God is just this weird cosmic energy kind of thing, but the understanding that, that there is a moving with the spirit, that it's not a static 
thing, that the Spirit is a, a moving entity. And so we see that, that Luke tells us the conception was, was the, the work of the Spirit. So we see that from the beginning of the New Testament, we have the Spirit once again creating life. Creating life. There's an incredible moment that we see later in Matthew chapter 3. And it's Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. And in Matthew 3 verse 16 it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And it goes on to say that the Father spoke and says, This is my Son, whom I'm well pleased. And that same word spirit is the word pneuma. It's that word pneuma in this moment. And this is really cool because this is going to go back and connect to the Old Testament and what we find at the very beginning of Genesis when it said that the spirit hovered over the waters. The word for hover is only used a handful of times in the Old Testament. And this is pretty, pretty sinking cool. And it's only used a handful of times in the Old Testament. Every other time it is used, apart from, this, apart from verse 2 in chapter, in chapter 1, it is used in description of a bird. It is used to describe a bird hovering above something or over someone or over the water. So it's always about a bird. And so then when we see that the spirit then descended on Jesus like a dove, there's this continuous understanding of the, the hovering aspect and nature of the spirit of God, that, that he is constantly over, right? And this is then he descended on him. Another cool thing that we see here, and this is our first picture of the Trinity, where we have Jesus the Son coming from the water, the Spirit descending on him, and the voice of God speaking. He's saying, this is my Son whom I'm well pleased. It's all three unified in one moment. Again, what I'm trying to show is that the Holy Spirit isn't this new concept or thing that, that came just 2,000 years ago, shortly after the resurrection and, and the departure of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus. But what this is is a, a continual working move of the Spirit that has started all the way back in infinite time before. And then when the earth was then created, he hovered here. And that he has not departed, but that the Spirit is still active and present on the earth. So this is where we begin to see things begin to change a little bit to a personal connection, more so than just a general overarching connection of the Spirit. But then Jesus is now empowered by the Spirit in that he is functioning and operating within the Spirit. The Spirit leads him. Oftentimes we see that Jesus led by the Spirit withdrew, right? So he's listening to the spirit. And I'll say this, that Jesus isn't going to listen to something lesser than him, right? And so these are, these are equal parts in, 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 this, in this role within the Trinity. And so the spirit has the same authority to speak as Jesus does. And so he says, he's led by the spirit, drawn by the spirit, you know, empowered by the spirit. And so we see Jesus working and functioning within the, the power of the spirit throughout his ministry, and then Paul tells us this, and then we read that, that, that Jesus was resurrected by the Holy Spirit. So understanding that the power of the Spirit within the resurrection, 
And not just that, but that the form in which Jesus walked on the earth post-resurrection is different than what it was pre-resurrection. That is that renewing and that new life, that new creation is empowered, is, is, is formed and done by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, again, is a life-giving creator. We find that over and over and over and over again. Have you ever seen somebody and known them before they knew Jesus and then they find Jesus and you're like, you are not the same person? I've got several stories that I could tell of friends of mine that were, were we'll call them heathens, right? <laughs> I don't know if they were really heathens, but they, they weren't great. And then they find Jesus and it's this true encounter with, with Jesus and the work of the spirit in their lives. And all of a sudden you go, you are a new person. Like you are not the same. Have you ever seen that person that was always just kind of grumpy and down and they find Jesus and then they have joy? And you're like, oh, thank God you found Jesus because honestly, I didn't like being your friend before, right? It's one of those deals. Uh, you've seen that, right? And that's that life-giving, transforming power of the Holy Spirit. That's the spirit at work. I love what Jesus did at the end of, uh, of John. And so he's, he's resurrected and now he's hanging out and, and he's, he's back with them. And this is just before he goes and, and sees Thomas and just kind of is like, oh, Thomas, right? But just, just right before that, that wasn't a good, oh, Thomas. That was like, mm, well, other people haven't seen and they believe and here you are needing to see the holes in my hands, Thomas. What does that say about you? That part didn't make it in the Bible. I'm pretty sure John wanted to write that, though. Like, and Thomas walked away feeling like an idiot, right? I'm just kidding. It's not even close. John 20 and 21 through 22, it says this. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And there's, this is an important thing. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit receive the Holy Spirit. So this is prior to Pentecost. This is prior to the moment. After this, he says, wait in Jerusalem because I am sending the Spirit, right? And that would be Pentecost and the outpouring and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and those kind of things and the tongues of of fire. And we'll get to all of that, right? Not today, but we're going to get to all of that throughout this. But Jesus says in this moment, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them. This is really cool. This wording, again, is specific and intentional. I don't think Jesus ever did anything that wasn't intentional, right? And and this is very intentional in what he says because going all the way back again, tying back to Genesis, Genesis chapter two, and we said that that God breathed the breath of life into the nostrils and and man became alive, right? When Jesus says he, he breathed on them, that is the same word used if you take the Septuagint. You know, Septuagint is the, uh, the Greek translation of the Hebrew law, right? And so as, as time went on and they realized, oh no, most of us don't speak Hebrew anymore. We all speak Greek now. We need to come up with something to help us to understand the word of God. So they took the Hebrew Bible that they had, the Hebrew scriptures they had, and they translated them into Greek. So we call that the Septuagint. So if you ever hear the Septuagint referred to, that's what's going on. And so the same word in the Septuagint for Genesis in chapter two, when it says he breathed on them, is the same word that Jesus uses in this moment to say that he breathed on them and said, receive the spirit. Which is pretty cool because he's going, receive the new life. Receive the new life. A couple weeks ago, we talked through like Romans in, in about 45 minutes and we just did the whole thing and we were like, whew, that's, let's not do that again. Um, 
But we talked about how Jesus was the representation of the new Adam in the new life, right? And in this, this, this transformation that happens through Christ. And Jesus in this moment is saying, this is that, that initial infilling, right? This is that first moment where you go, I've accepted Christ. And you'd have that infilling of the spirit in that moment. Jesus is saying, receive the spirit, which wouldn't that have been awesome to be at? Just go, wow, it's a cool moment. And we see he's saying, receive new life. Receive new life. So the Holy Spirit comes far more personal in that moment. All of a sudden, it is this, this infilling, this indwelling, where the Spirit is now in you, where he says, okay, you've accepted me, you've received me, now receive the Spirit. The Spirit of God has been active for all of eternity. Jesus himself walked in ministry with the Holy Spirit. I love that when uh, Luke says that he was full of the Holy Spirit, which goes to the, the imagery of water, right? And it's just that pouring in that Jesus says he was full of the Spirit. When he comes out of the wilderness, I love that. So Jesus goes away and fasts for 40 days. And when he comes out, he's tempted. And he's like, get out of my way, Satan. I've got things to do. And it says he comes out full of the Spirit. If there's anything that we should strive for in being like Jesus, one is being like Jesus, but two, to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. I, I imagine that in the sense of, you know, when something's full to the top and as you move, it just begins to splash out. You try to keep it real steady and it just kind of overflows and just pours out. And you go, oh man, now I'm missing something. I need to pour more in. And it just becomes this overflow. I, I just love that idea and that, image, that, that thought of, man, I'm so full that as I walk, it just splashes out. And people are just getting wet. And you go, I'm so sorry. I'm so, I'm so sorry. You got a little spirit on you. Like, I don't even know what to tell you. Like, it's kind of a weird idea. But you get what I'm saying. <laughs> That's where I say people are weird, right? Sorry about it. Here's this idea, idea that to be full of the spirit, right? I think it goes back to the idea that as Peter walking in his shadow hits people and they're being healed, right? Full of the spirit. And I think Jesus unifies the idea of the Trinity best in the Great Commission that we find in Matthew 28, 19. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And there's something very specific that you need to make mention of or, or, or take notice of is that he doesn't say in the names of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, but he gives one name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, a unifying term for the three, saying that there is a Father, a Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they all reside within one name, who we call God, who in the Hebrew world, I guess, would have been Yahweh, that all three combine together to make one God with three distinct persons in distinct roles within our world within our life. So who is the Holy Spirit? He is God. He is a life-giving, creative, animating force of God. And he dwells in the life of the believer. And there is so much more. So much more. Let me set up the rest of this series before I bring it to an end today. 
In Acts chapter one, this is Jesus is speaking to him. This is before he then ascends to heaven and he, before he physically leaves the earth. In Acts one, verse five, it says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, it says this. Jesus says this. He says this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then, but he, but he doesn't leave it at that. And, and this is what's important. Is too often in a spirit-filled church, and, and, and if you're wondering, we are a spirit-filled church, it gets left there. Because then it hinges on, okay, we've received the power and then it's all about what are the gifts of the Spirit and let's just operate in those within our four walls of our church. No, 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 no. That is a misuse and a misunderstanding of Scripture that that's where Jesus wanted it to be left. And you know, he says, you'll receive power and you will be my witnesses. He's like, you need to be empowered to go do the ministry, to do the work. And so we'll, we'll work through more of those things in the future weeks because, well, I didn't plan to preach all of that yet. So we're gonna not start going down that road. But here's my heart for today. Here's the hope in all of this today is understanding this. And this is the good news for all of us. That just like God was hovering, like the spirit was hovering over the dark places of the earth, like he was hovering over the waters. And so then he makes that transition to the, the personal understanding and relationship is that this is that just like you and I had death and sin in our hearts and our lives, the spirit hovered waiting for the moment for us to respond. And here's the good news. He still hovers in the dark places today. He still hovers in the dark places. You may have friends or loved ones or those that are, that are away from the Lord and you go, man, they are so far from Jesus. They, they need the Lord so bad. They need, the Spirit hovers in the dark places. And it is it is not something that he's trying to withdraw or move away from, but that he is hovering in the dark places. And he wants to work and move in those places to bring life. He wants to, to bring the transformation in those places. I'm gonna invite the worship team. Here's what I know. Is that God loves us so much that he doesn't wanna leave us the same. He doesn't want to leave us the same, and that's why the Spirit comes to give life. That's why He comes to 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 shift and to change and, and to to creatively transform. Right. That's what I love about the idea and the concept of sanctification. That we are being continually sanctified. Right. That we are forever being changed and transformed. That we are not to be the same, but that we continually pursue to be more like Jesus, right? And it is the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to become more and more like Christ. I know this, on my own, I am a failure. When I try to operate in my own ability, I try to operate in my own uh, uh, you know, power and what I can produce and make happen, I will come up short 10 out of 10 times, possibly even 10 out of nine. Because I'm a failure. I can't do it on my own. And I think if we were all honest with ourselves, we would recognize and realize that, yeah, that's every one of us. It's every one of us. At the core of who we are, we are not good. That's why there's sin in the world. 
God tried with two people to begin with, and man, that wasn't that they just ruined it for us. They were just the norm. We can, get, you know, we can go, man, I'm so mad at Adam and Eve. They brought sin in the Listen, it's an, it was inevitable. It was inevitable. We're not good. And that's why God created this whole plan and this process starting from the very beginning of creation and building all the way through to the moment where Jesus comes and he gives his life for you and I so that we might find salvation, so that we might find forgiveness and we might find grace. And it's the work of the Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit. It's that drawing. It's that hovering over the dark places, right? And you may be in this place where you know, Pastor Ryan, I, I am a Christian. I, I know Jesus. And I, to that, I say, praise God. But you may also stop and go, if I really examine my heart, there's some dark places where I need the Spirit to work. And he's hovering. He's like, oh, if you'll just let me. If you'll just let me have access to that dark corner, to that thing that just so, just keeps pulling you back and keeps pulling you back. And you're going, man, I want to be separated from that. I want to be done with that. And he's saying, listen, hand it to me. Let me have it. So that the spirit can give freedom. So that the spirit can bring new life. That transforming power. Man, I love that. New creation. The old is gone. And the new has come. When I think of myself and I think about all of my failures and every time I've dropped the ball and every mishap that I've had and I stop and I go, but the grace of God covers. It's overwhelming at times. So that the Spirit wouldn't allow me to stay where I was. He kept drawing, he kept drawing kept working, kept working, saying, just give it up, give it up, give it up, let me have it, let me have complete control and access of all things, that's, it. that's when you begin to walk in the fullness of the Spirit, seeing the Spirit brings joy, right, and you have the, the joy of salvation, man, that is just, there's so much to it, and it gets so rich and so deep, and we're going to do our best to cover things in four weeks, but let's be honest, we'll be done in four weeks, and, and then we'll still go, and now we have a lot more questions than we had before we began. And that's where we just go. Thank the Lord for the Spirit to continue leading and working. Here's what I want to do today. I want us to take a moment right now and just pause and just say, Holy Spirit, examine my heart. Examine my heart. If there's any part in my heart where I've not given you access and you just go and you're going, oh, but that's a dark place and I'm just, I'm hovering. I'm right there. I'm right there. If you'll just give me access to that place in your heart. I want to work. I want to change that. Father, this morning, we thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, for all that you are. We thank you, Lord, for for all that you do for us. Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, that we no longer think of you as just the third part or the other part of the Godhead or just as a functioning entity within the, the cosmos or in the world, Lord, but that we recognize you for who you are and that is that you are God. That you are God. 
You are equal with the Father. You're equal with the Son. You are the Holy Spirit. You are God. And then, Holy Spirit, I pray that for just a moment that you begin to examine our hearts. Begin to examine our hearts so that we see where we need to change, where we need to grow, so that you begin to cleanse and purify in a deeper way, Father, in the sanctifying power and work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.